Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So inshallah we continue with uh, discussing the common mistakes that we find Muslims committing. And uh, last time, uh, and almost a month ago now, uh, we are speaking about uh, misconceptions in regards to Hajj. Uh, since it was uh, around the beginning of the month of the Hijjah, now we're at the end of the month of the Hijjah. So we thought that we'll finish the chapter of misconceptions regarding Hajj, uh, inshallah, since we're still in the month of the Hijjah. One of the misconceptions of Hajj is that if I many Muslims, they believe that Hajj is not complete without visiting the grave of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The some might come to Hajj, and by the way, Hajj is only related to Mecca. The only rituals for Hajj are performed in Mecca. But some people feel that if they were just to come to Mecca and perform the rituals of Hajj, they are of the belief or feeling that their hajj is incomplete until they go to Medina and visit the grave of the Prophet So this belief is widespread amongst the common people in some countries and it is outright error because the pillars of hajj, its obligations and its sunan do not include visiting the grave of the Prophet This fact has been agreed upon by the companions, those who followed them and the well-known imams of this religion from the early virtuous generations. And by the four Imams, none of the narrations mention visiting the grave of the Prophet after Hajj or authentic. So imagine they used to perform Hajj in the time of the Prophet. They didn't make it part of the rituals of Hajj of visiting the Prophet when he was alive. Or in the, the in the farewell pilgrimage, that wasn't a condition that they have to come and visit the Prophet. Whether to, to purposely come and greet the Prophet ﷺ personally or go and visit him in Medina. And even after his death, this wasn't a practice of the Sahaba that they would purposely go uh, uh, to visit the grave of the Prophet. ﷺ. So, this wasn't a practice of the Sahaba or the early generations of the Muslims, nor is it something that the Imams of Islam have mentioned. Now, a lot of people do this because they follow a hadith which is not authentic. When the hadith says, "Man Whoever performs Hajj and doesn't visit me, then he has dealt, يعني, has has, يعني, uh, has been very dry with me. يعني, he's not sort of not done my rights, not being courteous towards me. And this hadith is not authentic, and therefore it's not relied upon. Nor did any of the scholars of the past. Practice this hadith. From the time of the Sahaba and Tabi'een and the four Imams, Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi, Ahmed, all the renowned scholars of Islam never uh, adopted this. If the pilgrim desires to pray in Masjid al-Nabawi, so a lot of people, they come from far off countries. Yes, Hajj is only related to Mecca, but a lot of people, since they're in Mecca, Medina is relatively close to go and to get the rewards and blessings of praying in Masjid al-Nabawi. And incidentally, visit the grave of the Prophet There's no problem with that. So to uh, to travel to pray in the Masjid al-Nabawi 
is actually a recommended action. And the virtue of the prayer being multiplied 1,000 times. Okay? So, to, so our intention to visit Medina is to pray in the masjid. Why? Because there's a virtue in praying in the masjid and Nabawi. But is there any virtue specific to visiting the grave of the Prophet ﷺ? No. So we don't go to Medina to visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. We go to Medina to pray in the masjid. And then incidentally, if we, if we visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, then this is something incidental, not the, uh, the intended purpose of يعني, the travel or that visit. Therefore, if the intention is to pray in the Prophet's masjid, this is recommended due to the virtue of praying in the masjid that accounts for a thousand prayers in, if they were to be prayed in other places. When he enters the masjid, he prays what has been decreed for him to pray. And then he conveys his salam to the Prophet ﷺ. So the first thing is that we pray in the masjid. And then if, for example, we arrive in Medina and it's a prayer time, or for example, we come to the masjid, we pray تحيت المسجد, or any prayers, and then we want to go and visit the grave of the Prophet وسلم, send him salam, there's no problem with that. And those who are in near proximity to him, and those who are far away from him, are the same in regards to conveying salam, and the returning of the salam. So some people, they say, I want to go and visit the grave of the Prophet وسلم, so I can give him salam. But you can give salam to the Prophet وسلم, wherever you are. As the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu he said in the hadith, he said, فَسَلَامُكُمْ تَبْلُغُنِي حَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ That your salam is conveyed to me from wherever you are. And I remember when I first went to uh, visit Medina, many of my friends and relatives would come over and they would say to me, please send salam to the Prophet for me. Send salam to the Prophet for me. And I wasn't aware, يعني, why are they saying this or what does that mean? How? So I asked one of our sheikhs at the time, and he said, tell them, you send salam to the Prophet from where you are. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will appoint an angel to carry the, your salam to the Prophet and the Prophet to respond to your salam from wherever you are. There are some people, they'll go and they'll write a list of all the people who told them, my mother told me to send salam. My father, my brother, my sister, aunt so-and-so, uncle so-and-so. They'll write it down. And they'll go with a long list standing in front of the grave of the Prophet. Aunt so-and-so gives you salam. Uncle uh, Hussam gives you salam. Uh, my brother Fadl gives you salam. My, my mother gives you salam. My grandmother uh, Fatima gives you salam. Yani they'll come and read a whole list. And then when you go back home, your neighbor will ask you, did you give salam to the Prophet ﷺ for me? Oh, I forgot to write your name down. And he'll get, oh, now I have to go back to give salam. No, this is not the case. You can give salam to the Prophet ﷺ and there's no difference standing in front of the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and saying salam to him or all the way here in Australia to give salam to him. No difference whatsoever. But yes, a person might feel more emotional it's like, for example, when you make du'a for the deceased. Do you have to stand in front of the grave to make du'a for your relative? You don't. You can make du'a for your relative who's passed away from wherever you are. Is your du'a answered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Wherever you are, Allah hears your du'a and answers your du'a. But now, if you were to visit the grave of your relative and make du'a for them, it might be more heartfelt and it might encourage you more, no doubt. But it's not a condition. 
Likewise, it's not a condition to give salam to the Prophet while standing in front of the gates. Yes, a person may, and if he has the opportunity to do that, because it will be more heartfelt, yes. But it's not a condition. A person shouldn't uh, uh, limit and not say salam, as-salatu as-salam ala Rasulullah wherever he is because he's not in front of the grave. No, from wherever you are. Nor do you have to entrust someone to give salam on your behalf. Someone who's going to visit Medina and you trust them, please give my salam to the Prophet on my, on my behalf. You don't have to do that. You yourself give salam to the Prophet from wherever you are. <coughs> He should not utter any falsehood. Uh, when a person uh, visits the grave of the Prophet he shouldn't utter any falsehood. He shouldn't make dua to the Prophet or seek intercession from the Prophet or, or pray in the name of the Prophet and pray to Allah in the name of the Prophet or for the sake of the Prophet and should it make uh, the, the visiting of the grave something that is a ritual or a, 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 a habitual religious practice a'id as the Prophet forbade that the Messenger he said I used to forbid you from visiting the graves but now whoever wants to visit them let him do so but do not utter any falsehood so when we visit the grave, yani we make sure that we don't say anything that's un-Islamic. We don't say, why did Allah do this to us? Why did he take your life? Why couldn't it? And this type of talk that yani it goes against our faith in Allah and our belief in the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whether it's in regards to any Muslim that passes away, whether it's a friend or a relative, or whether it is the Prophet wasallam. As well, when a person... Uh, visits the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, he shouldn't stand there for a long time. Rather, he should only give salam and then move on. And this is what is beloved to the Prophet ﷺ. So as we said, some people base this uh, belief that you have to visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, uh, during your hajj, either before you perform hajj or some of them say it must be after you perform hajj based on a hadith that we said is not authentic and therefore not reliable. The hadith says, Man lam yazurni faqad jafani. Whoever performs hajj to the sacred house and does not visit me has shunned me. And this, as we said, is not authentic. And it's part of the mawdu'at, the fabricated hadiths. As Imam al-Dhahabi mentioned, and uh, 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 as well as Shawkani mentioned as well. Uh, as well, there is another uh, narration that people rely on, and, and it says, Manzara qabri wa qabra abi Ibrahim fi amin faqad wajabat lahu shafa'a. Whoever visits my grave and the grave of my father Ibrahim during the year, during the same year, intercession has surely become mandatory for him. And this again is a hadith that is. Uh, unreliable and uh, it is not to be attributed to the Prophet another narration is that they say and this as well 
يعني is is something that directs people to major shirk as Sheikh Ibn Uthaymin he said and this is not a hadith of the Prophet and this is major shirk what it means if your affairs become difficult then go to the inhabitants of the graves some people they say this is a hadith this is not a hadith but actually in fact this is something that leads to major shirk as it directs people to go and to pray to the inhabitants of the graves another uh, a point or thing that people used to justify they said if one of you believed in a stone it would benefit him you know some people say this and actually believe in this like if you believe this stone is blessed then this stone will be blessed and can benefit you how can you say this and they attribute this as a hadith and this is false Sheikh uh, al-Albani said this is a fabrication so all of these narrations that people use to justify visiting the Prophet ﷺ and relating it to Hajj and even generally uh, praying towards the graves and, 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 and seeking blessing and, and accepted prayers and intercessions through the inhabitants of the graves, all of these narrations are lies and the scholars have stated these narrations are fabrications with no basis. Uh, the next point that is a misconception is that some people believe that after you finish your Hajj and you wish to leave Mecca, you do something called the Tawaf al-Wada'a, the farewell Tawaf, which is a confirmed Sunnah. But they say that when you leave Mecca for the last time, and the last time you see the Kaaba, don't turn your back to the Kaaba. So when you finish your Tawaf al-Wada'a, walk backwards. So that you don't give your back to the Kaaba until you become out of sight of the Kaaba, then you can turn your back and go. So that you don't turn your back to the Kaaba. And this is what has no basis. This has no basis. So he said, uh, Sheikh Salah al-Fawzan, Hafizullah, this is an innovation, a newly invented matter. It has been narrated that the Prophet ﷺ, it has not been narrated that the Prophet ﷺ or his companions did this after performing the farewell tawaf. Thus it is a newly invented matter and believing it to be correct is an innovation. So some people might think that this is a way of respecting the Kaaba. We say, okay, if it is, then who would respect the Kaaba the most? Isn't it the Prophet Wasallam and, and the Sahaba? Did they do it? If they did it, we do it. If they didn't do it and there's no evidence they did it, then we don't do it. And there's no evidence to say that it's something good to do. Because if it was good to do, the Prophet ﷺ would have done it or would have instructed to, to do it. Otherwise, there is, no, يعني, uh, there is no basis for it. The next point is performing tawaf around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. So some people will perform tawaf around the Kaaba, then they'll come to Medina and perform tawaf around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. And some will justify it. And they will say because the Prophet ﷺ is the best of all creation. And he is even better than the Kaaba. So if we can make tawaf around the Kaaba, we can make tawaf around the grave of the Prophet. Look at this logic. Why do we make tawaf around the Kaaba? Just because it is something honored by Allah? No. There are many things that are honored by Allah. We don't do tawaf around that. We do tawaf around the Kaaba because Allah commanded us. To make tawaf around the Kaaba. If Allah didn't command us to do tawaf around the Kaaba, we wouldn't. Just like kissing the black stone. Why do we kiss the black stone? 
Because the Prophet ﷺ, he kissed her. As Umar anhu, he said, when he came to do tawaf and he came to the point to, bl- to kiss the black stone, he said, إِنِّي عَالَمُ أَنَّكَ حَجَرًا لَا تَضُرُّ وَلَا تَنْفَعَ لَوْلَا أَنِّي رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ عَسَلَّمُ قَبَّلَكِ مَا قَبَّلْتُكِ That he said, I know that you are merely a stone, you have no benefit and you can, يعني, you, there is no benefit from you and there is no harm that you can fend off. Had I not seen the Prophet ﷺ kiss you, then I wouldn't have kissed you. We only kissed the black stone because the Prophet ﷺ kissed it. And he taught us to kiss it and recommended us to kiss it. Otherwise, it's just a stone. Likewise, the tawaf. So we can't use worships as we said, يعني, as the scholars they say, لا قياسة مع النص. And there's no, يعني, لا قياسة في, ال, في, ال, في العبادات. Or there's no, you can't use any analogy when it comes to worships. The worships are tawqifi. That we worship because, because of that. We can't then extrapolate uh, other rulings from established worships that have, يعني, uh, uh, يعني have just been يعني, ordained by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Prophet Okay? So making tawaf around the grave of the Prophet which is something that people used to do. You might think it's something... Like what are you talking about? It's something people used to do. And alhamdulillah the authorities in, 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 uh, in Saudi and in Medina they actually blocked off the gap where people used to make tawaf around. They blocked it off. But before it was blocked off the, the people used to make tawaf around. See subhanAllah like some people they look for any way like it's as if the worship of Islam is not enough for them. They have to do extra things. And you find people, they like the novelty. They like, you find people, they visit the, the Masjid al-Nabawi and they see the doors, these big beautiful golden doors and they'll start wiping the doors. One person sees the person in front of him wipe it, then all of them wipe it. He sees the other one, he wipes it. Why are you wiping the door for? Like, if you think there's any blessing, do you think this is from the time of the Prophet? This was only from the, the past 20, 30 years. This is a, do you think the Prophet would have made these golden doors? And even if he did, does that justify to wipe the doors? But this is the way of people that like the novelty and they like different things. This is the weakness that so many people have because of their ignorance. So making tawaf around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ is a form of shirk because tawaf is worship. And we make tawaf around the Kaaba as a worship to Allah because Allah commanded us to do it, not to worship the Kaaba. Because even if the Kaaba was leveled, let's say a storm came, a flood came, or whatever, and this has happened before in history, and the Kaaba was leveled, we would still pray in that direction and make tawaf in that direction. It's not about the building. But to make tawaf around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, then this is honoring the Prophet ﷺ, not honoring Allah and honoring the commands of Allah, because Allah did not command us to do that. And so for someone to honor the Prophet ﷺ in a form of worship, then this is shirk. Because this is directing worship to other than Allah. We ask Allah's protection from such. Because tawaf is worship. And those who perform tawaf around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ have made his grave into an idol. Just like the people of shirk used to make tawaf around their idols. They're making tawaf around 
the grave of the Prophet Then as we said, some people might say, then why are you making tawaf around the Kaaba? Then you're making the Kaaba an idol. We say, no. The difference is because we do tawaf not for the sake of the Kaaba, because Allah commanded us, and we make tawaf because of Allah's command, not because of the Kaaba. Even if the Kaaba is wiped out, we still make tawaf around that, that designated place. And Allah has just made the Kaaba as a symbol. The Prophet said, Allahumma la taj'al qabri wathanan yu'bad. Oh Allah, do not make my grave an idol that is worshipped. Why did the Prophet say that? Because as if he knew from the revelation of Allah, from the prophecy, that in the future people will treat his grave like an idol. And this is exactly what some people have done. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected his grave and answered his supplication and thus his grave is not accessible. So alhamdulillah that his grave, actually no one can get to the grave of the Prophet It's protected by at least three barriers, three walls. Yani the, 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 the Prophet was buried inside the house of Aisha. So you have the walls of the house of Aisha. Then you have a, a, a fence around that and then a third fence around that. So what we see is actually the third barrier around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. So people think they're touching the grave of the Prophet when they, if they can come and touch those green, the green barrier. But they're actually touching a barrier it has nothing to do with the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. Like why, why do you think that there is some blessing in touching it? Because it's connected to something that's connected to the second barrier. It's connected to something that's connected to the first barrier. It's connected to something that's connected to the grave of the Prophet, which is connected to the body of the Prophet. Then if you use that logic, you can touch this table that's connected to the floor, that's connected to the sea, that's connected to the other land, that's connected to the... This, where, where is this logic? Where do you draw the line that yeah, I've touched the grave? This is not the grave of the Prophet in any case. And even, this is not something, a lot of people that try to say that yes, see, it's the Wahhabis who made this. This is not from the Wahhabis or the Saudi state that have made this. This has been around since the beginning of the Islamic history that they made this. And as well, from the time of the early generations of the Muslims, even behind the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, they didn't make it straight so that people don't pray towards it. They made it as a, so it's not like a, a square or a rectangle around the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. They made it in a way that it's an angle so that you don't get the idea that you're praying towards. It's sort of deflecting away from the Prophet ﷺ, from, away from the grave. So even if you stand behind the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, the, the walls are built in a way to sort of divert you away from directing yourself to the grave of the Prophet So it's actually in a pentagon shape with one point towards, يعني, uh, towards the back of the Qibla, in the reverse of the Qibla. So that those who are standing behind it, they are not facing it directly, they are facing the point that deflects them away from directing it. And this wasn't something that was made in the past 100 or 200 years during the Saudi state, during the Wahhabis or whatever. If the Wahhabis did that, then from the time of the, of the Salaf are Wahhabis. And no, this is not about Wahhabi or Salafi or, or Saudis. This is about what the Muslims have always been following. To divert people away from the worship, worshipping the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. Who's the one who built these barriers? Wallahi, if it was up to these people, they would open it so that people can go and grovel at the, at the grave of the Prophet ﷺ and take the dirt and take the... And, and, and do all of these 
يعني fantastical things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the grave of the Prophet and so there are the grave, the actual grave of the Prophet is not accessible. And no one can enter. And now people have made sort of videos to sort of give the idea that someone can go inside. But you can no one can go inside of the grave of the Prophet. And these videos that you see on YouTube, this person got entrance to these are all fake. There are other graves, not the grave of the Prophet. But they do that for it's all political promotion for the people that yani, there's some yani, fame and popularity and political benefit that the people who do these videos get out of it. So sometimes you'll see, oh, this person got into the... And you see who these people are. And if you know the politics behind it, you understand why. But these are all fake. It's not the grave of the Prophet It's probably the grave of someone else or it's all set up. But no one can access the grave of the Prophet Thus the people have made his room and his house like the house of Allah. So some people have tre- treating the, the, the grave of the Prophet like the house of Allah, like the Kaaba. And they perform tawaf around it. And this is shirk. The only house which tawaf is performed around is the house of Allah, the Kaaba, which has been prescribed for tawaf. And let them perform tawaf around the ancient house. Only the Kaaba. We are not allowed to perform tawaf around anything else. The next point is apathy towards spending the night in Muzdalifa and Mina. We find a lot of people perform Hajj. They don't have any motivation to spend the night in Mina, uh, in Muzdalifa, sorry. Muzdalifa, spending the night in Muzdalifa is after Arafah. So all the Hujjaj go to Arafah, and then after Maghrib, they should leave Arafah. And they go, go towards Muzdalifa, and they're supposed to sleep in Muzdalifa. A lot of people, they say, what's this? I'm going to sleep on the floor? I'm going to sleep on the dirt? I don't want to trouble myself. And they'll just pass through Muzdalifa. And they don't sleep in Muzdalifa. They want to take a shortcut. And then even what's the obligatory days is to spend the nights in Mina, to sleep in Mina in the tent cities. And as well, some people, oh, I'm going to sleep in a tent, so uncomfortable. No, I'll go sleep in my five-star hotel in Mecca. And they'll find some sort of justification for it. This goes against the obligations of Hajj. Spending the night of sacrifice, yani the day before Eid, the night before Yom al-Nahar, in Muzdalifah, and staying overnight in Mina during the days of Tashriq is part of the obligations of Hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا أَفَضْتُمْ مِنْ عَرَفَاتٍ فَذْكُرُوا اللَّهَ عِنْدَ الْمَشْعَرِ الْحَرَامِ And when you leave Arafat, then remember Allah at the sites of the Haram. And the Mash'ar al-Haram is in Muzdalifa. This is proof from the Qur'an that spending the night in Muzdalifa is an obligation because the Messenger of Allah وسلم, explained this command with his action in obedience to Allah. Because the Prophet وسلم, when showing people how to perform Hajj, he stayed the night in Muzdalifa. He remained in Muzdalifa until he prayed Fajr prayer there and it became very light outside. But he gave an allowance for those who were weak to leave Muzdalifa after half the night. So the ones who were weak, the women and children and those who were sick or something like that, they, the Prophet ﷺ exempted them. So what do some people say? I'm weak. Everyone's weak, mashallah. So that they don't have to 
spend the night in Muzdalifa and sleep because Muzdalifa is just literally dirt floor because only one night the Hajjahs they're not going to build hotels and so on for one night for the whole year and just be patient because the, the Hajj is a form of jihad if you can't struggle for one night for the sake of Allah and it's the Wallahi it's the most beautiful sleep I've ever had in my life I call, the, I call Muzdalifa the thousand star hotel you know people like five star hotel and seven star hotel I call it a thousand star hotel you know why? Because you sleep under the stars. You look up and all you can see is the stars. Count thousand stars and then go to sleep. Aisha radiallahu anha, she said, Anna sawda kanat imra'atan thabitatan fasta'adhanat Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an tadfa'a ma'a jami'in ma'a jam'in qabla dufa'atin nas fa'adhina laha. Sawda radiallahu anha, as you know, she was one of the ummahat al-mu'mineen. And as you know that she was an older woman, she was a matron. The Prophet ﷺ married her, she was a widow. Before Aisha radiallahu anha. And she was a slow moving woman, she was old and you know, so she can't walk as quickly as others. So she asked the Messenger of Allah ﷺ for permission to depart the night of the Muzdalifa ahead of the people, so she can get a head start. And so he gave her permission to not spend the whole night, to spend part of the night and leave early before everyone else starts to move. So people who are like the situation of Sauda radiallahu anha, they can do that. But it's not for everyone. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, he said, Kuntu fi man qaddama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam laylatam al-muzdalifa fi dhafati ahlihi. I was one I was one though. I was one of those whom the Prophet ﷺ sent ahead of the night of Muzdalifah among the weak ones of his family. So, so sometimes if you're accompanying your wife, your sister, someone that is an old lady, that is a weak person, a sick person, and you're not, you're okay, but you have to accompany them to take care of them, then you're allowed as well. Okay. Asma radiallahu anha, she said, Inna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam adhina lidhan. The Prophet granted permission to the women. For the women, because generally the women, yani either they are weak or some of them are old or some of them might be pregnant or, or some of them might fear that their uh, menstruation is going to come so that they want to get a head start, uh, especially on the tawaf al-ifadah to get out of the way before they get their menses. So, for those, they can. So this includes the women who have an excuse and those who did not. The pilgrim has obeyed the command and performed the obligation of spending the night at Muzdalifah if they stay most of the night. And this means more than half or a little more than that. And this is the viewpoint of most of the people of knowledge. So you have to spend at least most of the night. You know, at least, for example, go to Muzdalifah and until after midnight. So that's most of the night. Uh, then you have fulfilled spending the night in Muzdalifa. Likewise, staying at Mina during the night is an obligation. As well, in the days of Tashriq, spending the night in Mina, sleeping in Mina is an obligation. And there, are, there is an exemption for the people who have a valid excuse. And we'll see that inshallah. But other than that, it's an obligation. What many of the people they do, and unfortunately, that's why it's very important that when you go to Hajj, you go with a reliable group and a reliable sheikh who teaches you the correct thing. Previously there were groups, Hajj groups, that didn't take the rituals of Hajj seriously. And they look for every and any shortcut. 
that's valid and that's not valid. So what they would do, they take the hujjaj on Yawm al-Tashriq, which is the day before Arafah to Mina, which is sunnah to do. And they go to Arafah, and they skip through Muzdalifah, they go to the hotel in Mecca, then they come and they do the, the stoning, or they send someone to do stoning on their behalf, and the slaughtering, and they shave their head, they do the tawaf, and they're in the hotel the whole time. They don't go to Mina, they're... So, so if you tell them, did you, spend your, did you sleep in Mina? They said, yes, we slept in Mina before Arafah. That's Yom al-Tashriq, that's Sunnah anyway. How about the obligatory nights in Mina? No, we took the exemption. So why did they take you on the Sunnah day? So that you feel that you did something. If you're going to take someone, if you want to make it easier, don't take them on the Sunnah day. But take them on the obligatory day. No, 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 no. They... Yeah, and you just want to make things easier. Don't want to uh, look for any shortcut. Don't want to follow what is the correct and what's the obligatory. Or at least, akhi, for the, stick on the safe side. This is the this is the ritual of people. This is one of the pillars of Islam. Most people will never have a chance to repeat their Hajj. Make sure that their Hajj is done correctly. But unfortunately, some groups just want to make it easy for the people so they don't complain, don't give them a headache, and easier for themselves. Stay in the hotel. Wallahi, I saw people in the hotel from Australia, other groups that I knew, sitting in the hotel, and there's no one in Mecca. They're the only people in Mecca. I said to them, why are you in Mina? They said, our sheikh said that it's okay. I said, don't you ask yourself, the whole world is in Mina, and you're the only ones here. Doesn't it click with you that maybe we're doing something wrong? They said, I don't care. As long as the sheikh said it's okay, we don't care. Sitting in the, uh, in the hotel, uh, what's it called? Uh, buffet, eating, drinking, relaxing. This is what you came for for Hajj. Just, يعني, you do a few things and that's it. Subhanallah. So, staying in Mina during the night is an obligation. An allowance is made for those who have an excuse to spend the night in Mecca or other places, such as those individuals who give water to the pilgrims or take care of their needs. This is proven in the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he said, Abbas, his father. Al-Abbas is the uncle of the Prophet As you know, the, the, the family of the Prophet were responsible for giving water to the Hajjaj. So Al-Abbas, being the head of the family of Bani Hashim, he wanted to oversee the giving water of the Hajjaj. And he has to be in Mecca to do that. So he asked permission from the Prophet to stay in Mecca and not be exempted from Spending the night in Mina because he's spending all day in Mecca giving water and it's going to be hard for him to come at the end of the night that he just stays in Mina to make it easier for him so that he could يعني, be there and, and oversee the responsibility of giving water for the Hajjaj. The Prophet ﷺ allowed him because he had a responsibility to take care of. But have a, what excuse? Are they giving water to the Hajjaj? Or they just uh, because they have to eat the food in the buffet or else the food in the buffet is going to go off? So Al-Abbas, he sought permission from the Prophet ﷺ to spend the night in Mecca in the days of Mina so that he could, he could give the water, supply water to the pilgrims and the Prophet ﷺ gave him permission. That which is not obligatory can be done without seeking permission. Thus seeking permission is a proof of its obligation. Yani why would Al-Abbas seek permission to stay in Mecca if it wasn't an obligation to do so? If it was optional, then Al-Abbas could have opted not to stay in Mina and just stay in Mecca. 
But since it's an obligation, he would have to then seek an excuse and an exemption from the Prophet ﷺ from the obligation. So this hadith shows that it is an obligation. And this is contained as well in the Quran where Allah says, ma'dudat," And remember Allah during the appointed days. And they are the days of Mina. As the Prophet ﷺ, he said, the days of Mina are days of eating and drinking, remembering Allah. Asim radiallahu anhu narrated that Rasulullah Mina. The Messenger excused the herdsmen of camels from sleeping in Mina. So the people who are taking care of the camels and whatever, they have to go to the pastures and so they can't spend the nights of Mina, they're taking care of the animals. He exempted for them. So people have responsibility and there is a need for them to be outside of Mina and it's going to be a huge difficulty for them to return to Mina. They're allowed to stay. But other, other than that, there's no excuse to not spend the nights in Mina. The excuse was given to the herdsmen proves that without an excuse, it remains an obligation. The next point, and probably we'll leave that as the last point because there's still more things, but uh, we're not going to be able to finish it today, is staying up at night for a long time without a need to do so. This is in opposition to the Sunnah. As it comes, the hadith of Ja'far ibn Muhammad radiallahu anhu that he said, أَتَى الْمُزْدَرِفَ فَصَلَّ بِهَا الْمَغْرِبَ وَالْعِشَاءِ بِأَذَانٍ وَاحِدٍ وَيَقَامَتَيْنِ وَلَمْ يُسَبِّحْ بَيْنَهُمَا شَيْئًا ثُمَّ اضَّجَعَ حَتَّى طَلَعَ الْفَجْرِ That the Prophet ﷺ came to Muzdalifah and he prayed Maghrib and Isha with one adhan and two iqama with no glorification of Allah. Yani no sunnah prayers in between. Yani normally pray sunnah after Maghrib, after Isha. The Prophet ﷺ just prayed Maghrib and Isha and didn't pray any sunnah prayers or any night prayers in Muzdalifah. And he slept until Fajr. Therefore, it is from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ to avoid staying up after Isha, except if there is need, if there is a need such as such as seeking knowledge or some benefit that's necessary at that time. So, some people that, as we said, they don't like to sleep in the Thousand Star Hotel. So they say, I don't want to sleep. I don't want to uh, uh, be uncomfortable. Uh, I want to make sure that I get ahead so they won't sleep. So they just spend the night talking and gossiping or whatever, or whatever. Or even they think that it's virtuous to pray night prayers or whatever. There's no, the best thing to do is to sleep. As the Prophet ﷺ, he slept. And to pray Maghrib and Isha, Jama' and without even any Sunnah prayers. As the Prophet ﷺ, he did. Because your rest and your sleep is important because the next day is Yawm al-Nahar that has the main rituals of Hajj in it. And so to be rested and refreshed, to do the rituals of Hajj in the best way, is more rewarding than to do Sunnah actions the night before. Let alone to sit and gossip and talk and whatever. Some people they say, I want to stay up so I don't lose my wudu and so on, just to make it easier for myself. No. Go through that even, sometimes it's difficult to find water or toilets and line up or whatever. Do that inshallah. Yani for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a benefit. And Allah will make it easy for you. But we'll stop here inshallah. And perhaps next time we'll continue with the common mistakes in regards to hajj. Uh, since it's still sort of fresh in our minds. Uh, and then inshallah we'll continue with the normal series. With the common mistakes in salah. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses us to do that. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala nabina Muhammad.
This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.